Brian, you know, I almost feel bad making you come to this generic, sometimes Middle Eastern airport. Yeah, I mean, don't feel too bad. I'm going to actually just take the ferry home today. And I actually, I realized something. What's that? So I called you and I'm like, um, hey, we'll wait for God. Hold on. <laughs> okay, God's done. <sighs> God, God's God got more. God again? <laughs> God still had all these. God saddled. So like half an hour ago, or a little more half hour ago, I called Brian. I'm like, hey, we're at the office. And he's like, oh, I was about to leave. And I'm like, oh, you want to leave by way of the Middle Eastern airport? So we, we obviously ended up meeting here, the place of Janine Turner conversations and, and an angry god coming from above. It really I, sounds like a bored civil servant god. A bored, okay, a bored civil servant angry god. Um, and I realized I have to go into the office, your office, to sign books. Yeah, I realized that as I was crossing, like, 10th Avenue. Yeah, like, Matt, Matt called me, he's like, people want signed decades for Christmas. You have to come in and sign books. And I guess now is as good a time as any as a go-by decade. I was so say, like, in a convenient tangent. In a convenient tangent. Signed copies of decade are theoretically available right now. <laughs> copies of decade are available. <laughs> signed copies are theoretically available. Um, yeah, no, actually... Uh, did they say they wanted to sign by Mike? I mean, we could just have Ferrando sign. <laughs> He's an MF. I swear that has never happened. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so anyway, buy more decades. Actually, it's, it's when did we release decade? Like 2006? It's been a long time. It has it's sold, been almost a decade. It has sold briskly this entire time. Keep buying it. Thank you. <laughs> Um, it's definitely better part of a decade since decade. Yeah, better out. part of it. Weren't we coming out with second decade? We were going to come out with second decade. I've been busy. You you have other. You, well, so we'll talk about that later. Yeah, yeah. But we'll talk about it for sure, though. Um, uh, and I know that you had something that you wanted to follow up from our previous podcast on. Yeah. But I I did want to mention one thing yeah. from the last time we podcasted here. Taya Steele told me that she was jealous, cross out jealous, envious. That Max McCall got a mention in our podcast. Okay. So, I don't know. Taya Steele, Taya Steele, Taya Steele. Hi, do, Taya. Do you have any, any... I mean, she could be the Mrs. Martell. <laughs> Hi, Mrs. Martell. Uh, for those of you who have... No one just started listening, did they? Is it even possible? I mean, it's possible. I mean, it's probably very confusing, but possible. Okay, so... Long, long ago, there was a magic player who... He wanted to make the big time, Okay. So he decided to come to go to law school in New York. <laughs> he went to Columbia Law School, which is a fine institution. But perhaps not the primary motivation. But for <laughs> when you listen to this player's story, you might wonder whether or not he had to go to law school at all. He came to Columbia Law School, barned Brian <laughs> upon getting here on the off chance that he might get invited to Finkel Draft. He started off... I would say he's worse at limited than I am. I mean, he, he not not by his claim, not but by record <laughs> measurement of win loss record. Um, I remember catching him on a on a manatee back when you remember manatee. Manatee, he's like no one plays that at limited. And I was like, caught you, brah. So anyway, that player, he was waiting in the wings for one day when there when there were only five to draft at John Finkel's, and he eventually got the call. Uh, and that player hung out a lot, and his mom listened to the podcast for... He was, all, a, he was a frequent guest on the podcast. He was a podcast. frequent guest on the podcast. 
His mom listened to the podcast for off, you know, for the possibility that he'd be mentioned or be on the podcast. So he would often say, "Hi, Mrs. Martell," because that player was in fact world famous Magic the Gathering Pro Tour top eight competitor and Grand Prix champion Tom, Tom Martell. Martell. So. He became he came to the Finkel Draft. Eventually became the number one rated Finkel Draft player. Said that he valued becoming the number one Finkel Draft player more than he would even a Pro Tour top eight. Upon making a Pro Tour top eight, <laughs> he probably said he revised his position. However, yeah. So Tom came on the offhand chance of if he became friends with Brian, he might get picked for Finkel Draft. So he graduates law school and then promptly just quits being a lawyer five seconds later because he really just came to New York to learn Magic the Gathering. There's, there's a high correlation of people quitting lawyering. I, I'm one of them. Yeah, <laughs> and lost. playing Magic and doing well at other things. Um, uh, the thing I think I actually want to talk about this, we, we talked about that idea of, you brought like, what percentage of games are winnable. Are winnable. Excluding just pure mana screw games. Right, just like apart from the actual cards themselves. Uh, we would lump those into say I would call them mental game games. Right. So like you beat the, you beat the opponent player, not necessarily, you know, there's cards on the table. If you laid out all oh, these are all the cards this one player drew. These are all the cards this other player drew. Pick who do you think would win, right? And I claimed that it was like 80% winnable think, against the player. I, I think that once you get to some sort of dis- disparate level of play skill. Yep. Um, that percentage goes up dramatically in favor of the more skilled player. Actually. Like, really dramatically. Really right? dramatically, actually, because, the first of all, like, you know... The, in excess the, of 50% of games. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Like, you just you have the ability to just confidently do things where another player's confidence level is out of the same place in a game, and therefore you're portraying strength when you have nothing or weakness, and they may, you know... And an example, I was playing someone the other day who's um, in our company who doesn't play a lot of Magic. Yep. They've got lethal damage on the board. They've got a five-power flyer and a two-power flyer. I'm at six. They attack with only the five-power flyer. Uh... Because I'm just not doing anything, and I'm representing that maybe I have, uh, I guess, a fog or a... Blah, whatever it is. Whatever. And so, I mean, I lose the game anyway, right? Like, I don't draw the answer next turn. But he certainly didn't. He he certainly killed it. He gives me, like, an entire additional draw step when he could have just not even given me my end step that turn. Yep. Um, And, you know, not because he was necessarily bad, right? I mean, he's a new player. He's someone who's actually picking up a lot of steam. He's really trying to think about all the possibilities. He's like, well, it could be this card. It could be this card. It could be this card you have. So I should probably not attack with both because then I think I might be vulnerable if you have this card. You know, like he's just running some three-card parlay that I could have with my two cards in hand. But I actually think that at the level of conscious incompetence, like you're at the level where you know enough to be dangerous, you know, you or you know enough to know, know enough that to you get, you know enough to get yourself in trouble. Yeah. So there's a level of unconscious incompetence where a lot of players are like, they don't know to even a scratch of a degree all the things they don't know, right? And interestingly, many of those players are magic commentators. Well, in terms of not in terms of being on the air necessarily, but like they write a lot of blog posts and articles about, and it's just like you're just like hoo ha. Like, Wow. Apparently, Gay Street and Waverly has transported their <laughs> their wares to the 39th Street. Yeah, that's where everyone was walking to so briskly with yeah. such firm legs. <laughs> 
anyway. Um, yeah, so they're, they're like, it, it, this is just like nonsense. Um, and but then there, you get to you get to players who are like, maybe they're good enough to go X and two in a PTQ or something. And, Ding. And they are they are keenly aware of all the things that they don't know. And in fact, I think one of the most common mistakes that the players of this class will make is that they will think of way too many things. Like, there are only a certain number of things possible in format, and they will they will give themselves problems that... How to keep an idiot busy was the last time these kinds of cards were, were played in concert together. Sure. Um, or, or, yeah, and, or, and they're not thinking about these other factors on the game, such as time. Sure. Like, how many turns? Like, one of, the, one of the things I always think about when I'm thinking about a game of Magic is, is I, I think, in, in thinking about it in terms of a basketball game, this is something I wrote about in a column for Star City a long time ago, yeah. was the, how many possessions is this game? I would have to, I, I don't remember reading this. I've read every article you wrote for Star City, and this seems like exactly up my alley. I think I should go read it. Yeah, it was like, it was like, I think it might have been the first, um, A is for something when I, when I did Yeah, I was thinking like, D is for Dogpile series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's the first one I did. And I just talked about this player who's just like doing the, it might have been the first or the second, but just talking about like the time of possession. It was like, you know, so like, and the idea behind this is I have a 5-5 flyer. And you're at 20. Yeah. Right? We it's are a four now turn in a four-turn four yeah. clock, a four-possession game, as they might call it in basketball. So I actually think that, that in, in my opinion, as someone who's witnessed probably thousands of games of Magic at this point. Oh, my God, yeah. I mean, I think tens that, of thousands, but quite easily. I think that that's actually the highest skill, which is that your ability to shave a turn. Yeah. I think that's the number one skill. I think yeah. that, that that's what John excels at, which is why he didn't block with the wolf. You know, he sure. didn't block the wolf because... He was he was playing game on on this different level, sure. and I mean obviously he 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 could have anticipated multiple galvanic blast with sure. with about, metalcraft, but it was a pretty remote possibility. Think about uh, well, I mean, and also for him, he realized that if he blocked the game, actually it, he, he, he he loses he, to a different he card. lost to yeah. a bunch of different cards in much more rapid fashion. Yeah, um, think think about um, you know we we're talking about. Uh, Turns. Think about like a, a situation. Late, you're playing a game of limited. You're late in the game. Let's just say your opponent has ten cards left in their library. So let's just say you're dead to fireball. Yeah. Let's pretend it's like 1996 Magic. Okay. Or 2006 Magic for when I won states. Sure. Because that's how I killed everybody. <laughs> but I was saying, but in limited, right? There's yeah. ten cards in the library. Every additional turn you give someone is a 10% chance of drawing their out. That's an amazing thing. Nobody talks about magic like that. That's a good one, Brian. Right, I mean, I mean, and, and again, it might be a five percent chance in, in the mid game, and it might be a much smaller percentage chance. But you know, if there are certain key cards that the game's going to revolve around, especially in limited, right? Like every turn is just so crucial. So I'm going to steal that. Sure. I mean, people will know that I stole it because it's oh, not limited. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I actually wanted to steal something else from me. I'm run, I want to write a, a column about how really good players play. Uh, in terms of their small run strategies and tactics, not like their big strategies and tactics, right? So everybody knows the big strategies and tactics. I'm talking about the small strategies and tactics, things like, and so I wanted you to rearticulate something that you said, you know, I don't know, a few conversations ago we had, about Stanislav Sivka doing value non-go-off-go-off. 
Okay. So, like, he basically, basically he starts with a certain number of resources, doesn't actually successfully go off, but goes to his next turn with way more resources than he started with, right? Yeah, absolutely. So that he can go off yeah, the yeah, next turn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He would, I mean, he would end the turn. He'd be like, okay, and then I'll cast Second Sunrise, and I'll draw all these cards. You know, he's going off on, trying to go off on turn two, right? And if he hits a critical mass, then he's never going to stop, right? He's just going to keep going. But. But then he can go, eh, okay, I'm going to stop now. I have three chromatic spheres on the board. I have two lotus blooms on the board. I have all these cards. and So I can now play a game of magic, draw a couple cards. Is your hard cast Liliana the Veil really going to get me from this? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, what are you, you going to do to me? So, oh. Um, yeah, Don't actually, abrupt decay my, <laughs> one of my artifacts. Right. It was, it was really interesting to watch him do it. Right? He would ta- and he would take these iconic calculated risks that would leave him when he got finally got to that turn. Is there a particular archives match I should watch to, to watch this? I don't remember which one. No. I mean, I think I think if you watch any of his... I, actually, I've watched a lot, but I, I didn't register you, him doing this. If you watch any of his match, I mean, sometimes he would do that and then just actually keep going. Yeah, accidentally go He'd off, He's just right? like, oh, you're dead. I, I, I think I, his intention is to kill his opponent, but his backup plan is to be like, okay, now I have this arsenal of missiles so, you know, in front of me. There's actually something similar. Brian Cole brought up back. This was way back in, like, 1999. So, like, you could be playing high tide, fail to go off, but when you got finished with all of your time spirals and turnabouts and using your thawing glaciers three times, you you pass, you still have seven cards in hand, all your land's untapped, you're refilled, and you're like, all right, I didn't win, but I'm actually, like, six cards ahead of where I was at the beginning it's act- of the And it's actually the same thing with Sifka, too, because he would do that with Ghost Quarter. Right? Yeah. Right? So. so he's ghost quartering himself, ghost quartering his islands out, ghost quartering his planes out, and like every iteration of the second sunrise, he's getting he's getting all these lands back. So Yeah, it's really powerful. So he's so he's going on turn two with one land or no land in play, you know, to suddenly having you know, and a fetch land and whatever, and suddenly having all this land so. on the board and all these resources and just being being so far being so resource rich compared to his opponent. Yeah, I, I, I just. So, but to come back to your original point, so you came back to this to this idea, which is that on second reflection, you think that a very large percentage of matches that are not decided completely by resource disparity, i.e., monoscrew, are decidable almost entirely on mental game. But, right. but at the highest highest level. Probably that number goes back down. It's it's, it's, it's it, a it curve, becomes, right? It becomes much, much it, be, closer. it becomes much closer. Um, I mean, you have to also respect your opponent, right? Do you? Well, you do, at that level, like I'll, I'll, I'll tell you something. Patrick Sullivan told me once. Um, he didn't. He actually made a comment about it in an article that I wrote because uh, he's like. First, I thought he was pissed, and then later I talked to him. And I was like, oh, I, I never meant to cast you in a bad light. It's actually something I learned a lot from. Um, and he's like, Oh no, I just can't remember doing something like that. You know, we were all young once. So, uh, I think it was probably Team Pro Tour we were playing together. So, obviously, I, that meant I was playing in the PTQ on Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I had to play in the last round of the PTQ. I ended up not making top eight. I lost to Tiago Chan, and Tiago Chan won the PTQ. Play, we Goblin Mirror match, and he won the die roll, and he went first in the third game, and I won the second game. You know, like, it was uh, uh, one of those. And so, Tiago Chan actually ended up winning the, the P- this was before anyone knew Tiago Chan's name I was like yeah. this is kind of a I was like where are you from this is a weird name Tiago Chan yeah. you know and he's like oh he's from Portugal right. so um, so last round at the PTQ 
Peace Ollie's about to draw in, and I'm like, you know, Peace Ollie, give me a solid and play. Uh, and I knew from, I'd previously, like, I think beat his opponent. And I'm like, he's playing goblins. Like, I think you got him. He's, Peace Ollie's playing slide. Peace, can you imagine Peace Ollie's playing slide in a format where you could have been the goblins yeah, player? Yeah, I'm sickened. Uh, and, you know, I was playing goblins too, and I'm like, you know, I'm probably not going to even be a, Good matchup for you in the, I mean, a bad matchup for you in the top eight. Plus, you know, we're friends. And he's like, can't, bro. I'm like, why? He's like, he's like, he's a donk. And I'm like, or he's like a whatever, a chumley, something like yeah, that. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't understand. And he's like, he's like, I'm like, doesn't that mean you're going to beat him? And he's like, he's like, no, chumleys don't play around wing shards. And I'm like, isn't that good? He's like, no, I don't have wing shards. <laughs> So he's like, he had, he had gone too many levels ahead. <laughs> so because it's an interesting assumption, right? Like, if you're trying to win against good players, they will play tentatively like your less experienced friend from work. Sure. So when Pete's always like, yeah, but this guy's not going to do that, <laughs> and I don't have the resources to punish him. I thought that was a really yeah, yeah, yeah. interestingly astute and observation. And that's, and that's part, of, part of talking about that mental game. Yeah. Like, you know, not knowing what someone's stack list is and being able to make people make assumptions based on archetypes. Yeah. You know, you know, we've seen this time and time again, people who play counterless control decks, but get the full advantage of their opponent until top they eight. Counters, until top eight. And then they yeah. never win a game until <laughs> <laughs> this has happened numerous times. Like I w- the worst one I think ever was uh it's, we should call that win a box control. Because yeah, <laughs> you can win a box yeah. for top eighting, but you're not gonna win. But like, I I can't remember it was like one of the years back when, when I was doing Pro Tour booth, I can't remember which was the worst one, if it was Max Bracked or Kenji Samura, where once their deck list was published, you could just look at it and be like... It might have been Max Bracked, like, I think. There are some seriously exploitable holes in this deck list. All you need to know is... No, if you don't know the deck list, you could be boned. But, like... Right. <laughs> like you just yeah. look at it and you're like, I got this one. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't about the cards anymore. This right. is about knowledge of the cards. Yeah. Okay, so... Um, so we covered that one, and then uh, do we have one other topic before I, I brought something? Do we have something we want to say? No, no, no. Okay. Although, although I do want to, so assuming we're going to do this again next week, yeah, uh, I do want to have like do some homework. Oh, homework! I want us to do some homework. Oh, us? With, oh, that yeah. I like that so less. I want, well, it's the end of the year, right? Okay. Like we might you know, between okay. Christmas and whatever, we might not get a chance to do some more podcasting. Okay. So uh, I'd like us to both bring our top eight lists. Okay. Our top eight cards of the year. Okay. Our top eight decks of the year. You, the, eight is too many. That's fine. The top one deck of the year. <laughs> That's fine. I, I I know your case already. And uh, you, you really want eight? De- I mean, I, whatever. You That's could fine. just name eight decks. I mean, like, there's not there's not ten good decks in a year. I mean, eight is too many. Well, there's, there's a lot of formats. There's modern. There's legacy. There's can you even you know, name a modern deck? Come I can on. name all the modern decks. By the way, the answer to that is is Jund with Lingering Souls, not. <laughs> Yeah, that deck's awesome. It's awesome. I that mean, deck's awesome. I, I also really like the green white Kibler's green white deck. I I thought that you uh, would have named the vile deck from uh, uh, the, Championship. the vile deck from the championship is awesome. A number of people were in in breathless awe yeah. of the uh, gifts deck from the last modern GP in Chicago that made the top eight. Oh, the one with like a, a million singletons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Zach Hill was like. A, a giddy schoolgirl waiting outside the back door of Madison Square Garden for One Direction to come out. He was like, "Oh my God, did you look at this deck? Oh my God, it's—I think it smiled at me." Um. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, I mean, there's a lot of there are a lot of decks to talk about. I think there are a lot. Of, I, I certainly have right, you at can least pick, eight decks. You can pick eight, and I'm going to name the deck that Cuneo and Sam Black have How about you name four? How about you name four? I'll, name I, four. I'll come up with eight. And then, uh, and then players. It's a couple top, of players. Eight, top eight cards? Cards, decks, players. Decks, players. Okay. Uh, the answer is Yuya Watanabe, in case you were wondering. Well, actually... Interesting point from Twitter. Who started this thread? You or you started it, right? Which one? The Yuya, the Yuya streak, and then then Kai and John came in, and then I finished it. Uh, yeah, we were talking about that. Yeah. So, um, so you you brought this up like, oh, you, was it thirty grand pre top eights that he, you think he's going to hit? I think he can hit thirty. I mean, he's not playing. So, so it's sort of become more clear that he's not playing as much as he was playing. But and he, yet, and yet, <laughs> five of seven GP top eights this year, including. I mean, if he had just won instead of coming in second in that other gigantic... He won Players' Championship, one right? Players and championship. then he came in second, second in, in the, Seattle. Second in Seattle, yeah. If he had just won Seattle, I mean, it might have cemented him as an above-average player. <laughs> yeah. And he was a Rookie of the Year just a few years ago, right? Rookie of the Year, two-time player of the year. Yeah. You know, Hall of Fame eligible. He has five years of playing to go before he's... He's a class of 2017. What year is Masaccio Oiso going to become eligible? Is he in? He's in. Was, I voted was, for him. He voted for him. He was inducted this year. I got confused. I'm like, when is Masashi? I, I was literally thinking about this in the shower yesterday. I'm like, when's Masashi eligible? I feel like there are a lot of players who've been playing less long than Masashi oh, who have already inducted. We need, we, need a sport, <laughs> we need a sports writer's wing for you quick before your faculties completely fade and you could still appreciate it. Okay, so, so, uh, so we're talking about streaks. And at the time, Anderson Verajao was the sole owner of right, so, most consecutive so 15 just, rebound games. Okay, we're sorry. talking about you, yeah. Yep. And someone said, eh, whatever. And Kai was like, well, he's pretty impressive. And then John came in. And then on. John came in and was like, yeah, but Kai, you're obviously. I mean, it was really actually unusual because John usually jumps into conversations with snark yeah. or comments about people's moms. Oh, no. John is in. I did an interview with John earlier. So he is in deep respect for the statistical improbability of Kai's performances. He's just like, he's like, nothing that I've ever done is as statistically improbable as the run that Kai went on for those um, two and, mul- years. and multiple runs that Kai went on. Just like his GP run of winning like three or four GPs in a row in 99, then winning a bunch of PTs in a row. Kai and, wanted it the most. Right. And uh, so, so, and he and, played low variance decks. That's the thing. Look at the decks that he won with. He's got like rebels. He's <laughs> got like I will have four mana on turn two and make a dragon. Kai did. Okay, that was well past <laughs> Kai's peak. I remember. I remember being approached. I'm like, I'm like, oh, Kai, it's good to see you again. What's going on? What are you playing? He's like, he's like, I believe what he said was some German kid made this. <laughs> He handed me the deck, and I looked at it, and I, I looked at it, I looked at it, I looked, and I looked at him, and I go, if I can get this straight, you cast a buried alive, and then you reanimate. I wasn't talking about this deck. <laughs> you reanimate a bunch of Rorixes. Is that correct? He's like, yes. So I'm like, you have all the vulnerabilities of a reanimator deck, but what exactly do you get when you do these expensive things? And he goes. Get a three turn. He goes a three turn clock. <laughs> it's like the most classic. He's like looks at me. He's like a three turn clock. <laughs> it was like the Rorix Rorix deck, right? You know this deck, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah I remember. I, I just, I just didn't understand. He's like, he's like, ah, some German kid made it. I wanted to support support the local economy. <laughs> Which deck were you talking about? I was just talking about like uh, the, you know the, the kind of uh, wildfire red deck. 
1999? Well, no, not 1999. The Wildfire Red Deck was 1999. Yeah. Kai's real run started with Rebels, then he won Unlimited, then he won a Donate. Donate. Sure. Then he won German Nationals. Yeah. He also... He also... Won the Invitational. Yeah. Yes, he won a lot of events. He was really good. There was a MySTings article that he made a mistake. It was when no one knew Nassif was. Right. Nassif was like a, the rookie that year. Right. And he's just like, Kai Budi... It was like the headline, Kai Budi makes a mistake. He, like, tried to play a second spell after after casting Yogmoth's agenda one turn. He's, and then, like, they're like, and then he laughed. <laughs> and then it's not really that funny because he, he beats Nassif. <laughs> he, like, makes a mistake and then wins it. <laughs> but then, then Nassif actually went on to make top four, but I believe his first pro tour the next week, which was the, the next week, which was the uh, Your Monkey Dog pro tour, the one that I, I finished 17th, you finished, like, 9th. I think uh, 11th or 13th. Whatever. It was top yeah. top 16, basically. Yeah. Yeah, so that was like the next week. And nobody nobody put two and two together because Nassif was Le Plus class, not not himself. And yeah. anyway, he's going to remember the same kid's name twice. We don't talk about Dennis Rashid. <laughs> I talk about Dennis Rashid all the time. I don't know about you. I, I've mentioned Dennis Rashid like four times this year on the podcast. But always in the context of, look, nobody knows Dennis Rashid's name. <laughs> Poor guy. Do you so, think that he probably... He's, this, this makes me sick. Yeah, obviously, Dennis Rashid must be sweet. I mean, yeah, like... he's a really nice guy, too. I really like him. Um, so... Uh, so, what's this, what's this thing? Okay. Are we finished with the... What was the previous we were, Oh, no, no, we didn't finish it. The, the streets. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, the, so, then... Uh, then... So, I know that John's favorite basketball player of all time is Will Chamberlain. Right, yeah. John, John was talking about the idea yeah. that Kai's streak is approaching Joe DiMaggio's 56-game hitting streak or the hitting streak of some guy none of us remember who reached base in 16 consecutive plate appearances or something so, like that. But So John will, like, sneer at you if you if you say the words Bill Russell or something. He's like, Bill Russell wasn't even the best big man while Bill Russell was winning all of those, all those MVPs. Uh, and then... You know, like, the idea that Michael Jordan is actually, like, in the same class as... as I mean, actually, just look at Wilt's statistics are, are unbelievable. Have you ever read Bill Simmons' dismantling of Wilt Chamberlain? No. But Bill Simmons is not very good at statistics. Yeah, but his idea was that... He thinks Kobe Bryant's a top-five player of all time. Yeah, but his idea is that Wilt Chamberlain was just not a... Like, he was simply a statistical player and not a basketball player, not a team player. I mean that's like such a ludicrous. I mean I don't even I, mean, I don't even understand how to approach it's, this argument. It's, it's 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 well I mean the idea that he he did, his teams were not successful. He's someone who was traded at his peak to three different times. Traded like while he was in his prime, and that teams did not want him on their team. Players play, teams traded for money back then. This was like not the same. Just an interesting. I think it's an interesting art. I mean, his comparison between. I mean, obviously he's biased, right? He loves Bill Russell. He hates Will Chamberlain. I mean, like, yeah. It, 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 first of all, I just, I actually really, really quite like Bill Simmons. Sure. Okay? I really enjoy reading Bill Simmons. I think that he takes a fair amount of flack from people who are not as smart as he is, or as good of a writer, or as entertaining a writer. Yeah, yeah. And I actually have a deep respect for people who do things, who, like, go out and try to make things and so forth, yeah. regardless of whatever criticism they're going to get. Part of the reason that I like Bill Simmons is 
my favorite basketball blog got to initial notoriety because Bill Simmons once upon a time wrote an article like, do you see this idiot thinks that Allen Iverson was the 21st best player last year, the year that Allen Iverson made MVP? And now that 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 system is espoused by pretty much all the smartest basketball handicappers that I know, and is and is guiding the and is guiding the uh, the picks of of. Uh, of incredibly successful franchises. For example, Dallas got the steal of Jay Crowder by fleecing the Cavs in the, from their second second round pick this year because Dallas bothered to read wages of wins, and they had Jay Crowder at second. So obviously, because Crowder played at a small school, nobody drafted him in the first round, and so they just got him for free. Like Mark Cuban goes out all the time. He's like, these guys are like the smartest. Thanks for all the free advice. Good thing other guys still use the eye test. Oh, by the way, I won the title two years ago. <laughs> like, I mean, you can see how fuming Cuban was to lose Jason Kidd. Most teams and GMs are like, Jason Kidd's like a 50-year-old point guard. Who would possibly want him? Apparently, the New York Knickerbockers are doing pretty good with Jason Kidd. And you could just, if you if you were at Rangers' wins, you'd be like, oh, Jason Kidd, despite his abbreviated minutes and, you know, he's not, his PPG's not, his, his production's so good. Do you know what else tells you that Jason Kidd's really good? The eye test. The eye test. <laughs> Let me tell you something about the eye test. He passes the eye test. Yeah, watching him play, you see the team I, performs I, differently. Just the, and, and the, you know I've been a huge fan of Jason the, Kidd forever. The team, the team chemistry, like yeah. when he's on the court, like the percentage of bozo selfish, like that is tough circus, on your team. Circus shots yeah. that your team takes is much lower when Jason Kidd's on the court. He won't pass the ball to someone who's in a bad position to take a shot. You'll see, like, <laughs> Mello, like, you know, Come doing on, some, I've got preparing an open for some sort of horse shot, you know? And he's like, no, no, I'm going to pass the ball to Rasheed Wallace, who's got an easy, and, and, and you can't see my air quotes here, easy, easy. three. <laughs> so so we An easy ejection. Yeah. We, so we went, I went to the game. I was at that game. Yeah. We went to the Phoenix Suns game, and Satan and I got to see history. We have to see basketball history. Yeah. The fastest ejection in the history of basketball. Three minutes? It was no, it was under two minutes. Balls don't lie. And that's and that's what he got ejected for. So he like You know there's a major blog called Ball Don't Lie. I know right? there is, but like so he gets he gets he he gets called for a foul, he's just arguing with the ref. Rishi Wallace, he's in the game for like a minute. Yes. Why is he in the game in minute two? Uh, I don't. It wasn't minute two. This was a minute two of his play. Oh, his play time. Okay. He gets he gets teed up. The guy goes to the line, misses the free throw. Rashid immediately. He's been cut off from the ref. He's been arguing with by his teammates. Immediately, just makes a beeline across the court to the other ref and just starts in his face, being like, "Ball don't lie, ball don't lie." <laughs> And they just tee him right back up, and he just walks off the court. As soon as he's out of shot of the cameras, crawls up in the in the hallway and takes a nap. <laughs> All right. Some so, part of that story might be exaggerated. So, back to the streak. So I just so I know that John loves Will Chamberlain, and you know, John, unlike maybe Bill Simmons, John, he has a, he has a strong investment. Let's say in basketball statistics. John's love of Will Chamberlain comes from. He's betting 10,000 women. No, no, a some vestigial portion of a soul that John still has that cares about Philadelphia sports teams. It's some vestigial Philadelphia fan. 
So this is ultimately Anderson Varejo oh, so, uh, anecdote, correct? Oh yeah. So I said, well, Anderson Varejo is currently sole owner of the longest streak. I'm sorry, the fourth longest streak of players with 15 plus rebounds at like you know four games or six games or whatever at the time. And, and I'm like, number one is held by Will Chamberlain at 186 consecutive games. So that's like an unbreakable streak, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Varejo, by the way, has had 15 plus rebounds and a double double in each of his games since then. I think he's something like 10. Yeah. I mean. I, this is what is insane to me, and I think it must be the case. I mean, Cavs are clearly not a very good team, okay? Yeah. Even the, to call them an outside shot at a playoff team is is very, very. That's. I, mean, the, they're, they're, I think they have a very good shot at being the seven or eight seed. I mean, I, I I don't want to. I, I wouldn't even stick my hopes out for that. Okay. I'm saying, I, I think they have a very good shot at being seven or eight. I, they're, so they're, but they're, no one would call them a contention team right now. No. Right. Okay. But forget about just the eye test, you know, and people really liking. Super scorers like Kobe, or obviously Kobe's actually having a great season, uh, and I'm, I'm typically a very, very uh, Kobe criticizing, but like Kobe, um, you know, Melo, Durant. I mean, Durant's awesome, and awesome, yeah. obviously, and of course LeBron. But Varejao's having a season that we literally have not seen in basketball in in excess of 20 years. The last player who's you know, pref- you know, why we haven't seen it. Because it's in Cleveland. No, I, it, like no player has played at this level. We still haven't seen it since Moses Malone. <laughs> like no, like I mean, you could have like a, a preternatural rebounder like Ben Wallace at his height. Who actually Ben Wallace has never rebounded at the, at the rate that Varejao's rebounding this year. Kevin Love or or uh, Kevin Lo- or or I mean, in particular, I would say Dennis Rodman. But these guys score. I mean, not Kevin Love, obviously. Kevin Love could be like a twenty and ten player, right? That's yeah. really good. But nobody puts up the offensive rebound numbers, total rebound numbers, and scores at the rate and at the field goal percentage that Varejao's scoring at. And he gets a ton of steals and assists. And he doesn't turn the ball over. Like, it, I, I just thinking to myself, like, was he always this good? He led the league in plus minus when he was on, like, when LeBron was on. Yeah. So, like, if they had two players at this level, is it possible Varejao is just playing at a preternatural level at age 30, even though, like, at age 25 he was playing with LeBron? Like, this almost doesn't make sense, right? Well, I mean, players figure stuff out, right? Like, they learn stuff. It's not, I don't, it's just not like, oh, like, a certain friend of ours who, who went on to win a, uh, a World Series of Poker Brace. He was like, oh, you only play the good hands. Yeah. I don't think it's something like that. Like, he's just... Not since Moses Malone have we seen have, have we seen a player like that. Forget about Carl Malone. Like, I mean, in a world, a quarter way through the season, maybe he will just have maybe, a horrendous rest of the season. But like, maybe it's a statistical anomaly or for 10, 12 yeah, straight games. Know. Like, ever. I mean, the, uh, the NBA geeks said the first game they were like, uh, I don't know why no one is talking about this in the media. That game that was was put, the Cavs open, opener this year is like that's probably going to be the best individual performance of the year. <laughs> it's like look at his line, and all they can talk about is how he missed a triple double because he only had nine assists. But like they're obsessed with triple doubles, and he had like eighteen and twenty two on sixty seven percent shooting or something yeah, like sure. like his. I, I don't know. Like if you, I, I obviously I watch all the Cleveland games, and most people watch none of the Cleveland games. Right, but. Is it possible that no one has noticed? Because the only people who talk about this are stat heads and the Cavs blog I read. (laughs) And the Cavs blog I read every day says things along the lines of, Varejo had a pretty good game. Not (laughs) His conservation of possessions is like, 
it, it's just unbelievable. Sure, but, but, like, it's one thing to, like, get into the, the, the statistics of it. Yeah. And, and this you is don't want to see the ball go in the basket. Yeah, it's not just the ball in the basket, but it's also about a battle for hearts and minds. In terms of, like, the entertainment yeah, franchise the that is the NBA. Play no, fun no, no, basketball. No, 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 no. What, right. what I'm saying, so what I'm saying is, like, you know, whatever you want to say about players who are just, like, high-volume shooters and, you know, just, like, really volatile kind of players who maybe put up some big scoring numbers but don't put up a lot of the other numbers, they're exciting to watch, and that's part of what drives, and that's why they get more attention, that's why they get more media I, attention, that's why they get bigger contracts. That's I would actually argue that... Um, Carmelo Anthony will be the MVP this year. I actually think that he's he's, he's the front runner. He's playing. I, I, I'm sure you're not happy with his the number of shots he's putting up, but like the game that he's playing is so much more complete. Well, his scoring he, average is up six points, and he's actually he's shooting better than most other years. He's shooting better. He actually has is putting getting some assists. His rebounding has been much better. And, like, he's just tenacious on D. He's playing, like, every game like he's playing against LeBron. What part of I think he's going to be the MVP did you miss? Well, you don't put a lot of stock in people's MVP votes. Oh, like, yeah. That almost sounds like an insult. I think he's going to be the MVP. Yeah, yeah. Year. The MVP Idiots. is the highest scoring pl- is the highest scoring player Idiots. on the winningest team. I think he's going to be the MVP this year. Um, Morons. Unless they are sick of someone. Like, for example, like, let's just give it to Charles Barkley or Carl Malone because Michael has too many. You know? Sure, sure. I mean, the notion that they gave it to Kobe in 2008 instead of LeBron is just like flabbergasting. They can still give it to Durant. I mean, Durant Durant has more, I mean, it's between Durant and Veragy who's having the best season, but like Durant's having a great season too. But I mean, I guess, but I guess Kid is not going to get the credit for the Knicks turnaround or Chandler. Chandler is playing insane, insane basketball. Or Brewer. Or Brewer's great. I mean, I think all three of those guys are more pivotal to... Did you see, did you see the uh, thing about Stoudemire, by the way? So he's like, I'm totally comfortable being the sixth man. I read that. I mean, you don't believe it, but... Well, I don't understand what totally comfortable with this is. Like, they're the winningest team right now in their division, and, like, it, the argument I've always made is, even if you have Melo at his best, Melo at his best is, Melo is an above-average player, okay? He's just not... I just don't think he's as good as people think he is. That's the reason why maybe I, I sound too deflating and mellow. But he's an above-average player. Stoudemire, at his best, is an elite player. Sure. But he hasn't been an elite player in a while, okay? No. Even if they're both... There. So, but Melo's production is entirely related to scoring. Melo does not do the other things that elite wings do. But he has been this year. Like, he really has been. He, like, it's spread out he turns over the ball over a lot. That's sure, the thing. You know, I, I, I would I, actually. The, my biggest problem with him is he turns the ball over a lot. I don't care that his that he takes too many shots because he's hitting a high percentage of shots. It's fine. The, the Knicks, by the way, just as far as turnovers this year, incredibly low turnovers. Yeah, <laughs> they're all they're, they're all coming out of Melo's hands. It's, anyway, my point is. If, as far if you look at the, he's not used to passing. If you look at like the elite <laughs> wings in the game, Ginobili, LeBron, Durant, it, Dwayne Wade, like the you know the players that I <laughs> always talk about, I really like at wing. They pass the ball. They get. Like, what's the thing I always say about Kev, uh, Jason Kidd? Even though he's a point guard, not a, he gets an insane number of rebounds for his position. Yeah, like they do all these things other than just put the ball in the basket. Because putting the ball in the basket requires the use of possessions. Ability to contribute without burning a possession, i.e. via steals, assists, 
um, you, rebounds allows you to allows you to have players that can contribute simultaneously. Amare, at his best, is an incredibly elite scorer. Yeah. The problem is you need your power forward center to play some defense, not turn over the ball. His job is really not to turn over the ball. You put the ball in his hands, it's supposed to get dunked, okay? And to grab rebounds. Amare is, I would say, to be generous, he is not very good at the things that Chandler is very good yeah. at, right? So if you're going to play... And he is an elite scorer at his best. I would never take that away from him. 30 points a game at, at, at his shot percentage is very, very... Except for if a guard is doing that, then he's he maybe he's the best guard in the league. But the, you would call him James Harden. <laughs> but the problem is, if you have a power forward center, you need them to do these other things much more than you need them purely to score. When you have those two guys on the floor at the same time, they can only contribute doing the same thing. And they don't stretch the floor enough. You know, it's... Have you watched any Nick games this year? Uh, I watched part of some. Have you seen any of the games with Pagroni? No, I don't know who this pa- Pablo Pagroni's their 35-year-old rookie. <laughs> I've never heard of him. They've got a 28-year-old rookie and a 35-year-old rookie. They had That's to, their youth movement. They had to balance They had to balance out their acquisitions of perennial greats. Yes. Right. Um, yes. Has Camby played much? Camby has not played much. He's been he's been coming back from uh, uh, bone bruise. I would much rather watch Camby play than... Than Amare, pa- Pablo Pagroni, yeah, is is really was he from Italy? He's from Argentina. He was like on the national team with uh, with Ginobili, Lucas uh, Scola, Lucas Scola. So, but anyway, we, we talked enough about basketball. All right, so we're forty two minutes in, and I actually brought something I wanted to talk about. I saw about, that you have so. like a prop. I have a prop. So, uh, I'm stealing this from Brad Nelson. Brad Nelson put up a question on Facebook and Twitter yesterday. Yeah. And I actually, so I'll read what the question is, but I actually highlighted some of the responses. I thought we might address some of the responses that the players had. Sure. So Brad asked. Just hijack it right from Brad. Just, I'm stealing the F out of this from Brad's just Twitter like, page. Just set up like a, a fake car accident by the side of the road. When he comes out to investigate, just like step out with like masks. And, and shave his beard. Shave his beard. <laughs> I mean, it's actually funny. His brother actually posted one, uh, posted an answer that I didn't highlight, which was like, um, uh, like, not having a famous older <laughs> So, all right, the question is, what's the weakest part of your game, and, you know, what would you want to learn more about? Turnovers. Turnovers? So I, I highlighted some of the answers. I, let's talk about them without saying who asked them. I mean, we didn't ask anybody's sure, sure, permission. Sure, sure, so. sure. Not that I asked Brad's yeah. permission, but I'm yeah. just blatantly stealing this from Brad. Sure. So uh, here's one. I marked a bunch that were like with S, for example, because over and over, one one recurring theme was people really needed to learn more about sideboarding. That's interesting. So, uh, so that that was cool. How about this one? Overcoming the distaste for card advantage necessary to use force of will in non-obvious situations. Well, it's a non-obvious situation. I'm not. I can understand the first part, right? Yeah, I, th- I think I think that I think that the, the non-obvious situation line there is misleading. I think like the obvious situation is you're dead. The non-obvious yeah. situation is other. Right. I'll, like, I'll give you an example. Defend like it's second turn and you pitch your last two cards like you know Mulligan maybe you pitch your last two cards to protect the dark confidant that your opponent just tried sure. to spell Pierce. Sure. Spell sure. snare rather. Yeah, yeah. That would be one. Or your opponent goes first, plays dark confidant, and you just force Willis dark confidant. Sure. I think those might be non-obvious situations. Like you're not dead. I don't know. I, I mean, I gotta tell you. I mean, like. Right, right. I've done both of those things in the last sure. 48 hours. Sure. So. Um, but I don't care about marketing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. That's just kind of weird, right? Like, it's, it's kind of like anything else where you have to just get a feel for, like, what if you have two brainstorms in your hand? You're going to get your cards back. You're going to, like, dig I, around. I actually think it's stuff. a mindset issue. Like, I think that 
the players at a certain level, I think probably the level of conscious incompetence, like what I was saying before, they learned this thing about card advantage, and now they're Aaron, beholden Aaron, to it. Aaron Forsyth talks about this a lot. Yep. Right? He's like, there's all these kind of like fundamental, I want to get better things that Magic players learn, yep. that he feels like they actually spend the bulk of their time getting better on learning. Right? And they're like, card advantage. That like, card advantage is king. Like a, a two for one. It's like, you know what? Sometimes you put your two, two, one creatures in front of their four, four creature, and you kill it. Because what's your, what is your option? What is your option? Your option is to not kill it, right? You're like, no blocks, right? And the game turns a little bit, and now you're behind. And now you're like, um, all right, I'll block with one of my guys. Won't kill it. I'm just going to block. Just save four. I, all right, a couple turns later, I'll block. <laughs> right? Yep. <laughs> And Save, like, and you're just like you could have saved twelve. You, yeah. You're like, yeah, like you, you've taken, you're, you've taken eight, and yeah. you're in the abyss. So it, you know, and so and the same thing. Like he's like, people become so orthodox about I'm going to do this at the end of your turn. That I'm only going to do this at the end of your turn, right? I've been taught this. Use my mana at the end of my opponent's turn whenever when possible. When did that come up? So much more efficient to use it on your own turn, like so often. Well, it depends on what it is, right? Yeah. But, like, the idea that, you know, if I'm going to factor fiction, I want to factor fiction on your turn. I want to hold my mana up for counter magic, and I want to be able to factor I fiction. Want to... But sometimes it's like, sometimes you want to factor fiction and play a land. I once torched a PTQ where I lost, like, only two games. Unfortunately, they were both in the finals. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and John Schuler had qualified the previous week, handed me a deck, and he said, play this, you won't lose at all. But you need your factor fiction to resolve. So cast it on your own turn if you don't think it will resolve if you cast right. it on their turn. He told me that right before the PTQ. And like I said, I didn't... Yeah. I mean, I locked Yagmas Agenda locked myself. That's how I lost yeah, it. Okay. Yeah. But that's sad, right? But, but that's, right, that's what it is. It's like there's, there's these orthodoxies of the game that where the, the margins of victory exist is in breaking those orthodoxies, right? And like doing stuff on your turn, on sometimes just... Pitching two cards to counter a dark confidant, or something. Pitching two cards to counter a wild nakatl, even. Do you know what I mean? Like that maybe is it. Uh, I've never done that, but I just probably right. Well, you could see it, right? Like yeah, you're sure. like, look at your hand. You're like, you've got a control hand. You've got another spell pierce next turn for the tarmogoyf. You've got, you know, or a spell, spell snare. snare you know, you've got something else. You've got a, you've got a thirst for knowledge for two turns later. You're like, oh, you know what? I'm just gonna. So what if you're playing high tide, right? If you're playing high tide, you have no non-basic land, so you can't be disrupted by wasteland. How are you gonna lose? You're going to lose only if you get clocked with disruption behind it. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, so you just force Will the Wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can totally see that. Right, but but again, I think I think to me the bigger the bigger for me the bigger point there is about unlearning like all these kind of like hard and fast rules that you've learned to get better yeah. to actually get much better. Like finding. Where I think those, that's a great observation. To find where where you can uh, you know where you can find your find your edges in a game and where you're going to buy by yourself turns again it's that idea of like people become so obsessed with cards and card advantage and you know and 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 not thinking enough about how many turns does this represent like you know again if that uh, wild nacoddle kills you seven turns from now and you were going to win on the ninth turn well you've lost two cards anyway yeah <laughs> so it's a that's I, and it's just a great great observation all right Here's one. A lot of them that I highlighted were actually related to mindset. Okay. There's one like how to win under pressure. For example, top eight, extra turns, no time left on the clock, win and end matches. I've lost a lot of win and end matches uh, in my adulthood. I, I think, that, to me, the one that I see a lot of yeah. and I think is really interesting is 
Uh, the next one. Well, actually, no. Oh, no, no, no. I'm looking at. I'm looking at that answer, at that uh, question. I was looking at the ex examples, and I guess under pressure yeah. could also be on camera. Right? You see more and more people go to a Grand Prix, and they have to play a game of Magic on camera. I, in younger years, yeah. like, you know, I used to, I don't people probably know this, I used to, like, be one of these people who went to all the Grand Prix and yeah, played yeah. a lot of tournaments. And the, uh, I, I would have... You should be one of these people without a wife and two kids. Right, actually played in Magic. It's on a regular basis. So the the... I would even have pro tours or whatever, certainly Grand Prix events, where I didn't lose any matches except for the ones where I was in a feature match table. Sure. So there's two things that you can... So I used to think, like, oh, maybe it's because I'm at a feature match table, so I'm playing to the... I, I, and I was one of the worst about playing to the crowd. You know, I would have like always show the crowd my hand and, like, make people roar when I did something cool. And, I, you know... I, your focus is not on the game when, yeah. when you're doing that. But the other thing is, when you're at the feature match table, typically your opponents are, are pretty good, you know, or better yeah, better yeah, than yeah, yeah. better than. Like, ooh, this is a match we want to watch. Yeah. That's not a match versus of you versus a pile of green jello. Yeah. So right? Yeah. There. That's. So on camera is a really good because people I think are overly critical probably of some of the players on the, the Star City circuit where <sighs> where they like make a lot of mistakes on camera and they're like Star City circuit where people. Cast, you know, naturalize with black blue. Oh my God, Liam <laughs> You know, but the uh, and but the, the idea people are—they're not, not used to playing this environment. Not used to playing this environment. It depends on where they. Like, first of all, also talk about mindset. Like, you know, we, we, I've seen people. We've seen people. Stanislav Sivka, yeah. one of the best technical players I've seen. Like, seriously, just like really just watching him play, super mechanical, someone who had thousands of hours of practice yeah. with his deck, knew it inside and out. Do you know what I mean? Like, just could go on, like, okay, I'm going to do this, do this, do this, stack, 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 like, maintain five stacks, like he's playing yeah. some kind of Star Trek four-dimensional chess match, you know, and do all his stuff and react and let his stacks resolve and, you know, super technical player. By Sunday, yeah. you watch his top eight matches, he make, there are, there are cracks in his armor. Yeah, because he he's mistakes. so tired. Yeah, and it's because he's just mentally freaking exhausted, right? He's been playing long matches, repetitive motions. You know what I mean? For for, uh, for three days. It's actually it's funny that you asked me this. Um, Chris Mascioli asked me this. I think a similar thing before. He's like, it's like I've played against you, and you made me take a draw that I shouldn't have taken. Right? Like you just tricked me out of it. Right? I've seen you play, and then you win all these matches that. No one else I know can win this match, right? But you win it by, like, saying something funny on the third turn in anticipation of, of reading a, which planeswalker he's going he's gonna to play the next. You know, it's like all these little things. It's like, why don't you win more? And I'm like, and I'm like eh, it's, it's weird because I can look back at, like, tournaments that I've won. When all, like, look, we talked about the last time where, like, where I beat the third turn Exalted Angel. But I did it by, like, you know... It tricked my opponent into opening up because I was like, oh, I'm dead. I, what did I do? Like, miss a land drop or something on purpose? Like, like some kind of stuff. Like, you know, I have to be, I have to beat this highly improbable situation. I can't beat, I can't win on the cards. I have to have my opponent screw up or, yeah, or yeah. at least give me an open. Right. You know? And when I told him, I'm like, you know, it's kind of like you could be in really good shape, right? You're in really good shape and you're physically could be strong. You could run, you know, maybe you can run a marathon or you run a long thing. You're flexible, you can do a backbend, you can, like, hold a bridge or whatever. But even really, really intensely good-shaped people can't do everything all the time for sustained periods of time. Like, 
like I, I just think back at like some some, some times because I think ask myself the same question. You know, like when I'm playing on, I'm just like, right. I mean, I, I I I have never been one of the best technical players. But, but Chapin, in, but when you're in the zone, you, yeah, like, you obviously Chapin and Herberholtz have both said, and like he's like, I don't understand you. You can make these horrible mistakes, and then you you play on this level that almost nobody can play at, and like. And then just torch someone who's much better than you, and and it's like, I, how do how do you reconcile that? And the thing is, like, it's exhausting. Yeah, like I mean, it's, there's, there's a reason we don't see a lot of like 35, 36 year old pro tour champions. Like it's just, I, I mean, mean like, aside from the fact that they have to go get jobs and raise families no, at some point, but it's also because the, the it is it is so hard to continue to play the game for that long as at as that you, level. At that's that level. the thing. Like. I mean, if, if, I, if I only had to go... I would, love, I would love to be able to go back and play, like, play Magic. Knowing with what my, you know now. Not even knowing what I know now. Just with my 18-year-old brain. Do you know what I mean? Like, with my 18-year-old capacity for retaining information, for staying up for 72 hours without sleeping, for my, like, the, my ability to make just rapid-fire connections. Um, you know, like, I was, you know... I'm, I, I think I'm a pretty sharp guy. But let me tell you something. When I was 18... I was a firecracker, you know. The, the, I would love to go back. I, I actually, I actually answered also Brent's question. I said, the, I make in-game mistakes that I, I see immediately after the fact, and I know good players who we're friends with would say that's also their. It's probably your your biggest problem too. You make a mistake, you know it's a mistake. One second too late. Sure. Like because I think that the difference between things that we're successful at right now in our lives, other than playing Magic in tournament settings on an, on an everyday basis, is that. You have a take back, right? Like, you send something wrong, like to the editor. Like, there's a you have to do a color correction on a piece of art. You can fix it before it goes to press, or before yeah, it costs yeah. you a million dollars, you know, or something like that. Like, I I can catch a problem, and then like it might have been an expensive problem, but I have like I have the next thirty days in the month to fix this problem, you know, or like to make up all the money that I lost like five minutes ago. And in a Magic tournament setting, I I'm not sure. I think. A big part of what we measure in match tournaments is just who didn't make a mistake that day. You know, who didn't make a catastrophic mistake that day. Or, in part, whose opponents didn't exploit the fact that they made a mistake. Like, I go back and I watch my matches. Like, I record a lot of my matches and, like, I rewatch them. And I'm like, wow, that was really, like, this was a really bad string. I had to make these five mistakes to lose this game. And I was like, yeah. and, and, and in the moment, I'm like, you know, I, I took some damage. I, I was so so far ahead. I didn't think I could lose. And then I get, like, you know, faith shielded on the last turn. I'm like, what do you mean I can't block? <laughs> yeah. So, so, um, Paulo wrote an article recently where he was at, people asked him, like, what makes, a sort of a similar question, yeah. I guess. And what he did was he just relayed techniques from the players on Channel Fireball that he watches yeah. and how they play. And I thought one of the things I thought was fascinating was his assessment of David Ochoa. Right, who is obviously one of the best players in the game right now. He's platinum, got his first top eight. He's been a GP machine for the yeah. last couple of years, been top 16 of, or near the top eight of multiple pro tours. And he's like, and I, you know, and I even asked Ocho when he finally get in, I'm like, oh, man, are you excited that you made the top eight? And he's like, no, it's fine, you know, it's a tournament. I'm doing what I do, you know. And he's just like super flat, and he doesn't get flummoxed. If he makes a mistake, he just recalibrates. Yeah, he's like, okay, mistake made. Got to sort of recalibrate. It's very, this very Nasifish. Sure, sure. Or Mahara. You know, I don't know Mahara well. Mahara from the, from I know, the world. I, I know who Mahara is. But do you remember world? I don't know. In the top eight? And, like, calculating his mana? And then he's like, how do I win this game now that I've completely blown it? Yeah. And he finds a way. But, uh, 
But he also talks about like the idea of like patience, which I thought was fascinating. That's actually the very next comment. How to be patient, how not, how not to make simple mistakes due to pressure. So those are two separate things yeah. to me. Because the thing about patience is, and, and that power related was the idea of like, people are just conditioned. Like they're like, okay, you've got a blocker. I've got an attacker and I've got a dark banishing. Right? I don't remember if this is the exact situation, yeah. but he's like, kill your guy and attack. Right? Like, like the idea like, well, maybe you just use your guy to attack. And maybe that kills their... Maybe that's your one-for-one. One. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, maybe that dark banishing has a better purpose for later. It's, it, yeah, it's interesting. I hadn't thought about... Last time we talked, we, we, uh, we talked about, like, PTQs that we griped over. I hadn't talked about, thought about this PTQ in a long time. So, um, I think it's after the Team Pro Tour that, um, that Mike Turian wins, that, like, our acrobatic team is yeah. defeated in the finals. So 2000. Yeah, so I was really, I was really into playing match tournaments back then. So I went down to Roanoke, Virginia, to play at a then not particularly well-known store called Star City Games. This is a long trek yeah, yeah. for a PTQ for someone yeah. in New York. It's like a six, seven-hour drive, right? Uh, it is it longer than that. three hours to DC, eight hours from DC. So oh, God. like eleven hours, something like that. Wow. Um, and I had gone once before. With Patrick J. So you knew how long it was. I knew how it long it was. More dedicated. Uh, so, but that Patrick J. made top eight last time, and then he had the worst set of rulings in the world. Actually, Omid Dariani ruled uh, an avalanche rider wrong. He ruled so the opponent could not pay for the avalanche rider and then bring it back with his oath of rules every turn, which you can't do. They both oh. go on the sack at the same time. Um, and then so by the time they ironed out the rule, Patrick was like <laughs> three lands behind. He was like. I told you this rule was incorrect like three turns ago. Yes, my, I would have won this game. My, like, my land lies in ruin. <laughs> I would have won this game. Do you not see any problem? He's <laughs> like, oh, I made the wrong. So, so this time I make top eight. And Dan Silberman drove all the way from uh, from Pittsburgh for this PTQ. I'm like, Dan, Pittsburgh's a long way, dude. Yeah, yeah. And no one knew who Dan Silberman was. I mean, he had, he had a Grand Prix top eight. Much like the Cleveland Cavaliers, they still don't. <laughs> so... Dan Silverman, no one who he was, but for you, you guys were now. Dan Silverman was like roommates with Eugene Harvey, Mike Turian, uh, yeah. uh, Andrew Cuneo, and and yeah. uh, and Andy J. Like those guys. They, not Aaron Forsyth was a grown man, yeah. <laughs> but like he was like roommates with like all these other guys, and they all played Magic at CMU together. And I'm like, Dan, what are you doing here? This is a long way. It's even longer for you. And he's like, he's like. Yeah, my friends just won like a hundred grand between them last week. Pretty stupid to not play Magic. So, um, you know, we're both like X and O, and we're just shooting the shit like one round to go. And we decided to watch Legacy. Uh, even back then, they were running Legacy events. <laughs> decided to watch like a Legacy side event, not realizing that we missed our round. Both of us then had to go win and in, <laughs> even though we should not have had to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we, we both win and in. So this is where I get next leveled. Dan looks around. There's not... There's there's one player, I think Dominic Crappuchettes, who had a Pro Tour second place from Virginia area, was in the top eight with me and Dan, and, like, five local heroes. Five local wannabe heroes. So Dan's like, who's that New York City slicker up there? We're in, like, rural Virginia. And this is long before Pete has taken over the magic internet. And he's like... I don't know if we should let that New York City slicker do... And this is a Rochester draft. So, basically, Dan gets every single player at the table to hate draft yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm getting hate drafted 
from like four four picks away. I had I if you guys know what Drudge Skeletons is, I had to first pick Drudge Skeletons in two different packs that I opened because I did not have a creature yet. Keep in mind that people don't even know what Rochester Draft okay. is. Oh yeah, so they know so Rochester Draft is different from Bootstraps. Everyone can see all the cards. And like players who were really good at Rochester Draft or who had at least practiced Rochester Draft had substantial advantage. It's kind of like Rochester drafting one booster pack. At a time. At a time, yeah. So uh so I mean like he masterfully got all the players to play uh to uh to hate draft me from like every position on the table. I finished I finished the draft with six total creatures, two of which were first pick drudge skeletons. That's a Metatron zombie. Metatron zombie. I mean this was a anyway, it was it was not a happy story. So I'm like, that was that was well played. He's like, I'm taking down the PTQ off. So I watched Dominic Crapachetti's on the other side. And he was making plays opposite of what you were saying. I'm like, why isn't he not burning that guy and getting with his bear. And he would just hold his removal, made, like, favorable trades on the ground, and eventually Dominic got to the finals against Dan, and then Dominic sold the slot to Dan. <laughs> so I was just like, Crapuchetti's had, like, a, had a second-place Pro Tour finish, right? Yeah. yeah. I would have tried to win. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, I mean, I haven't thought about that in a long time. I was like, because we but both I, had to win and in because right. we were watching the legacy right. side of it. But, but that idea of, like, why isn't he using that spell yeah. right there on that? He's not, he he's, has a spell in his hand, and he has a target for yeah. it. Why isn't he's he like, doing I've that? I've got a bear, you've got a bear. Attack. <laughs> he's like, yeah. like, oh, I'll take two. I'm like, ooh, take two? <laughs> what is this? Why didn't he burn that? Right. All right, so, um, all right, let's see what's more. reading. A lot of people are, like, reading the meta. What do you, my, I have the best strategy for reading the meta. Ask you. You will have talked to a bunch of the, the top pros. I now know the meta. <laughs> like, I mean, but, like, you, you I, yeah, I mean, reading the meta is, like, it's, like, such a weird thing. I even hate, like, I hate, it's going to sound like a weird, this is, like, a weird pet peeve of yeah. mine. I hate the term the meta. Yeah, because it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. It's, like, if you want to talk about the meta game, maybe that's fine. But even that's Pre- gotten what so, they, like, what they relentlessly mean is abstracted to Predicting me. what strategies other players are going to play. Yeah, yeah. And, and, like, and that, and you and you know this. I mean, certainly, like, it, it involves, that involves, like, local play styles. And, uh. and, and that exists, right? I mean, you know that. As someone who's traveled long ways to go to a PTQ, you know that if you go to a PTQ in Columbus... And you go to a PTQ in New York in the same constructed format. Yeah. That the, the prevalent decks that you're going to see are, are going to be very different, right? And that's and that's not because of like some regional thing. It's because like if you go to Virginia, maybe you're going to see a little more blue white control because Shaheen Sarani is a player who wins with a deck like that and has this influence. And he influences. And he influences player. the players in his regional play base, right? Like you know someone. You know, you would see, you know, maybe there's someone who's very aggressive and you see a red-green deck doing really well and maybe that deck is disproportionately represented in that area. So, like, to read the metagame, like, maybe you want to read the micro game a little. <laughs> you know, also, like, what's, what are people playing locally? Like, you can pay attention. Like, you go into a store, maybe they publish deck lists from their winning events. Like, maybe you want to look at that metagame. Like, it's, it's interesting you mentioned this. Um, we talked about the Crater Hoof combo deck a few weeks ago. Yeah. And... Brad had showed me his deck, like, weeks earlier. He's like, I think I'm going to play this in the Grand Prix. And it was, like, weeks out. And I'm like, oh, so you basically you basically pick which which games you're going to win and lose, right? So you lose the ability to, to play the Thrag Tusk Restoration Angel Fair game. But you get these explosive games, right? So obviously Martin Juza goes on and wins the wins the the concurrent um, European... Bo- Bochum. 
Grand Prix Wii U or what? <laughs> Grand Prix U. <laughs> Grand Prix U. Um, so, and, and Brad is trying to explain to me how they thought Grizzly Salvage was better in one tournament and, and uh, Tracker's Instinct was better than the other one. And he's like, oh, well, because of the European meta. And I was just like, I don't know. There's two cards that do basically the same thing. <laughs> I hate to, I really hate the term meta. But do you, I, I don't even understand this. Why would one be better in the European meta? More removal, I think. I don't. I guess so. I guess so. They like. Uh, I don't know. Maybe they play more avalanche riders and oath the goals combo there. <laughs> so you need the lands. Right. Effectively testing for an event. That's just time, right? What's that? Effectively testing for an event. Yes, but I mean it's more, it's more than that, right? Like, oh, so just that actually follows up. Just something I was talking about the David Ocho example. Yeah. And this is one of the things that I really loved. They Raptor was frustrated in the anecdote that that, yeah. that PV relayed that he was frustrated that their testing against the Greenway Humans deck was completely flawed because no human being could be as patient as Ochoa, yeah. and like so Ochoa would play the game, and like oh, Raptor would keep a hand with Pillar of Flame, and Ochoa would wait until turn three to play. Um, Champion of the Parish and gather the townsfolk so that he would have a 3-3 Champion of the Parish. And he's like, no one is going to do this at the tournament. <laughs> it's actually one of my all-time favorite stories. Remember uh, John Becker playing Green-White Rebels that I made in, uh, like, Regionals 2002 or something? Sure. And I, it's one of the most amazing plays I've ever seen. He has a first-turn Ramosian Sergeant playing against Fires, doesn't cast it. Plays it on the second turn. His opponent goes like burn, and he's like wax wane. Lives untaps, and then he plays his third land, and then searches the first time, and the game ends right, right. there. Right. And, and I'm like, wow, that was such a good play. He's like, yeah, it doesn't matter if you play on the first or second turn. The only difference is a point. I can't search on the second turn anyway. And I knew he was going to try to. <laughs> so, so, so that's like the idea of like playing against, like, like play testing effectively is playing with good players. Knowing when the players you're playing against are far better than the people you're going to play against in the tournament, like I don't know, it's it's kind of a, it's kind of a tough, you know. I would just say always find people far better than you to play test against. Yeah, that's frustrating too. Well, actually, maybe it's not. It's do you know Do you know Anna Marie Clifton? Uh, I actually we actually drafted with her recently. So Anna Marie started playing a month ago. Yeah, she was personally trained by. Is Eric Hesselman a, a Grand Prix champion? No, he's a World Series of Poker Bracelet. He's a, a, a Bracelet. I think he's also a Grand Prix champion, actually. No, he's not. He's not one of Grand Prix. He's second at the Grand Prix? He's top eight at a Grand Prix, okay, for so, sure. So she was personally trained by Eric Hesselman, and she played in, like, two PTQs so far, and her finishes were 5-3 and then 8-6-2. and six and two. Or 8-2, and two, they're she, long she, now. She understands magic, I, for sure. Yeah, so she decided, so she, decided she was going to apprentice herself to me uh, to... Uh, to learn constructed by the Atlantic City Grand Prix, so she's just going to do whatever I teach her, apparently, which will make her. I was going to. I was going to say she'll be the first apprentice to have ever dated another apprentice, but that's by definition not true. <laughs> there is another apprentice who previously dated Anna Marie before she'd ever heard of magic. They just met on a cake event. <laughs> do you know which one? I do. Yeah. So. Maybe, is that a step down, Eric Kesselman, to me? <laughs> uh, for constructed, no. Yeah. For limited, yes. How about for millions, yes. <laughs> millions, yeah. yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I mean, she's so excited about magic. She really is. She really is. She, she, she drafted a Google the other day with Mark. Yeah. Those guys. She, I mean. She know, do well. She, 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 
she had a mixed experience. Like yep. her deck didn't go. Like she was a little too rigid in her like card selection. Like, but she's I mean, been trained by like. But she's she been knew, trained by the trainer crowd. She she also knew where her deck had gone wrong. Okay. And she you know she won she won some games that she might not have won, you know. As a beginning, as magic player with her experience, for someone of her, she just yeah, has yeah, not played she very was, well. She was, no, no, she's she she definitely impressed me. The, the thing that's interesting though is her mindset. She, she so she's never played constructed basically. So she asked me a question like, "Why don't people play pack rat constructed? It's so powerful." Like her concept is like the most powerful thing sure. is a pack rat. And I'm like, okay, you t- tell you what, you've got a pack rat in your hand. You've got as many pack rats as you want in your hand. You tell me how this game is going to go. You script your hand. You tell me exactly how this is going to go. I'm like, so the first thing I'm like, blah, 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 third turn X. I'm like, all right, how about I just pillar of flame your effing pack rat? She's like, oh. <laughs> well, I have to start over again. I'm like, so let's say I don't pillar your frame. And I just like started running through basic things like restoration angel routines. She's like, restoration angel, what's that? And then I'm like, I showed her restoration angel. She's like, how is this a card? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. like, I'm like, 3-4 Flying Flash? I mean, I guess you have to blink something. I'm like, have to blink something? Wait a minute. <laughs> but it's so powerful. Yeah. <laughs> From someone who only knows how to play Limited, she's like, this is just too powerful. I'm like, yeah. you understand that you can blink things, too. Like, I could have 187 your artifact. I blink and I kill another artifact. She's like, oh, this is much more powerful than Pack Rat. <laughs> although, although you could certainly see a situation where Pack Rat could be... Uh, I mean, you, you identified Packrat as a card earlier on that you thought might be potentially yeah, interesting. Yeah, but the thing is, like, I think that you could play a Packrat in a strategy that can that can exp- possibly exploit multiple angles on it. But if you actually just want to play a creature enabler, let's say, in a reanimator deck, I have a hard time justifying Packrat over oh, sure. a lot less no, 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 To me, to me, the idea would be, like, if you play Packrat, it would be some sort of, like, long game inevitability. Oh, you're, like, playing it, door control like, or something, like, and it's, like, your yeah, second door. Or, 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 yeah, or deck that had, like, squeeze somehow. Like, somehow squeeze in the standard environment. Okay. Do you know what I mean? And you're like, oh, I'm going to... I'm, I'm I not, could see a scenario where the card is... I'm not naysaying that Packrat is potentially a playable card. I'm not calling it Bitter Blossom like PV did. Yeah. But I think that it has... I, I just... My point was that as an A strategy in a main deck, it is badly outclassed by almost everything oh, yeah. that people play. I, that, which is not to say that you couldn't play it. Like, you know, some of the most high-impact cards are B-strategy sideboard or supplemental cards. Sure. That, that, the yeah. that would normally be, you know, that's that's safe. How is this a real card? Supreme Verdict. <laughs> she had that in Limited before. Here, here's a good one. This is like a combination of, like, practice and, and, and mindset. Slowing down enough to take in the whole board and think. I keep finding myself playing around obviously non-existent things and into things I should have known. I keep losing games because I play lands too fast or don't keep up the right mana. Almost 20 years in, we still do these things. Sure. Um, But when you're playing well, you know. You know what I mean? I catch myself faster when I'm playing well. uh, You know, uh, one of the things that uh, I like is what Dennis Udegaris has talked about, which is something he took from his chess teachers, yeah. chess mentors, which is sit on your hands. Really? Yeah, he's like, just sit on your hand. You think you're going to make a play? Like, you're gonna, there's some moments. Like, maybe, like, obviously, they're just, look, I can't help you. What if, if you I'm going to fart? If you, if you don't lead, <laughs> if you don't lead with planes yeah. when you have a white-white spell in your hand on turn two, I can't help you here. Yeah. Right? You know what I mean? Like, if you don't lead with the yep. white source. But? But, like, for, for other games, like, in the games, like, at the start of your turn, it's okay to sit on your hands, take... 
10 seconds, 15 seconds that maybe you wouldn't have taken on that turn otherwise, and just think for a second, what am I doing? What are my attacks? What do I need this turn to end like? Right? Like, what's my end game for this turn? As opposed to, what land am I going to play? Like, like this, do exactly what he says, right? Like, That's a great takeaway. Taking this holistic, like, what is my goal at the end of this turn? Is he going to be dead? Am I going to be dead if I don't do, like, what happens if I don't? Like, a lot of times people just also don't realize it's like, you know, where they're like, oh, I can't kill him here, and he's got lethal on the board, right? Like, this is a very standard limited thing. It's like, you know what, but if you attack with everybody, he's dead he if he doesn't block. If he doesn't and block like, him, he can't kill you anymore. And then you, like, whittle him down, yeah. and he can't kill you back. Like, you have to, like, That's just, actually, you have to that, take that a few, comes up all the time. Yeah, and you have to take a few minutes to think about that. What happens? Okay, so now what happens if this? And just think about those things. Think about your big picture. What am I going to do? Like, just sit on your hands. Don't do anything for a second. Don't commit anything. And then think. Make your plan. And then go through your turn. So here's here's one I think is really common. Controlling emotions while in the match and how to prepare for the, the next match while in an unstable state, followed by just don't tilt. I don't know how to do this. I, like, flip my coffee. I have, like, a coffee table that my laptop's yeah. on. I want to play moto. I flip it up in the air. I give my finger to my opponents when I win. Because, like, what are you doing? I'm like, I just beat this blah, 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 so-and-so. Yeah. I'm like, I'm the worst. I'm really? Like, I'm like I'm like some 14-year-old kid playing Halo on Xbox Live. I spent eight chapters of the Official Miser's Guide dealing with this exact thing. I think that most players lose games that they can otherwise win because they let their emotions take over. Sure. If you just talk about Ocho, it doesn't sound to me like he has emotions. No, he's he like, doesn't, yeah. He's like a robo-player. Sure. I mean, one of, one of the players uh, I think you and I both really admired when he was playing the game was Adam Chambers. Do you remember Adam Chambers? Yeah, from Target. No, from he was he played more like with Tim Ayton and those guys. Oh yeah, Adam Chambers. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking about Adam Horvath. Yeah, yeah, Adam Horvath. Adam Chambers. That guy. He could pick a five mana three three like. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or five yeah. mana two two even. Like, but he just he just had this kind of like no affect whatsoever. Like the 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 dip from his low to the high of his high was you know the slightest of inclines. A marble might roll down it eventually, but it wasn't. It's not clear that it will. It might need a a push. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he was just, like, super flat all the time. And, like, that's that's a big thing. I mean, I, I, I'm kidding around about, like, going, like, uh, and giving a finger I, I, to the kid. I, I can see you like, doing that. But that's also because I'm, like, trying to, like, keep myself centered while I'm playing the match. And, like, like all my emotion I, of, you know, you don't, you know, you don't three-hour Swiss cue that often. No. <laughs> I don't, yeah. certainly. Do you remember the one time I went off on TJ and Pelzeri when... Uh, it was like during a Kamigawa, Kamigawa age. Like I, I had like I scooped him into top eight like the previous week, and then like you didn't want, you like wanted to run no paisies. He cheated, sidetracked or something. Do you remember this? Yes, I do. Like, and I remember like uh, who was it? Rob Nevis was like, I've never seen you go off on someone like that before. That was sweet. <laughs> I brought kindness into it. It's like I was kind. Uh, I mean, oh. I think it's important to, to, to stay calm, but, you know. I think it's important to regulate your emotions. Yeah. I think it's better, rather than staying but, but calm, I prefer just to be happy all but the time. That also, but that also comes from repetitions, like playing a lot I of magic. Agree. And from just realizing that, you know, you're just going to lose. A lot of the time. More than 30% of your games if you're John Finkel, so you can't expect to do much better than that. Fair enough. It's like Andre says, you know, it's like, 
I didn't necessarily have a remarkable year, but I won my games in the right order. Yeah. You know? That's yeah. how you get to be the world champion. Stay calm, and then when you're in the streak, yeah. don't get too excited about it. <laughs> Realize it's, you know... And, and 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 play it out. Play out the streak. Respect it. I, I remember I, I made that sideboard guide for Andre, and then he didn't. He completely ignored it when he was playing against Snapfingers in the top four. And I asked him about it later, um, and, and he's like, "It's like I wanted to do it." Then I, I realized after I had lost the second game or something that he had morphed into some sort of white control deck after me, and I couldn't play against his creatures. Then he was just trying to play a control game. You know, remember like. Andre, I, you, you, in rats, right? like Andre kept like played consecutive Baneslayer Angels, and and he had like consecutive Path to Exile, and Andre had to like completely recalibrate his game plan. He's like, he's like, all right, so if you want to play a white control game, I'm going to be white control, but with better cards than you, which is basically the game that he decided to play. And then Bram went for the kill. Andre stopped him from killing him, and Bram didn't have a second gob, uh, Goblin Bushwalker in his deck, and Andre was dead if he just had a second Bushwalker. Yeah. But because Bram had morphed into a white control deck, he only had one Bushwhacker to try to kill Andre with so when Andre lived like right. he couldn't win anymore so uh, I remember like a lot of the the chatter after that was like oh well Andre just got lucky because Bram didn't kill him and I was like no <laughs> Bram made it so that Bram couldn't win like right. that's <laughs> Bram had if he just Bram had the Ranger of Eos you know if he just had the other Goblin right. Bushwhacker Andre was dead yep, yep. but Andre didn't die yeah <laughs> alright let's see here I, this is this, this one I have, a, I have a good story for. I have a bad habit of letting autopilot take over, since I literally never play test. That is bad. <laughs> I don't analyze enough, and it causes misplays. So, I had this PTQ many years ago that I was playing in that I did. I playing for top eight, but I was playing for top eight like a very early round in. It would have been like if I win, I just double draw. Tony Sai actually won in double draw that, and he was ninth. And he heard it from Pakula the entire rest of the day. He's like, you can't do it. You can't do that. Everyone does it all the time. Yeah. Right? So what happened was, it was like my third turn, third or fourth turn. I didn't make my land drop. And I instead, I, and I discarded. And I discarded a, a relevant card. I think it was like a Mana War or something. I just autopiloted. Like you said before, Impulse is a card to be cast on your opponent's end step. If I just impulsed for land and played land and passed, I would not have had oh, to discard. Yeah. And I lost an incredibly tight game where if I just had a 2-2 creature, I would have won. Right. You know, like, I, and I think, and that's actually a game that I think back to a lot. I, that was, a, a, again, a two-slot qualifier, won by, if I recall, Mike Turian and Jason Opalka. <laughs> so... No slouches. The top eight included Ben Murray, uh, like, Worth Wolpert. Uh, I mean, like, tons of really good players from, from that era. Eric Taylor, I think. Um, so, yeah, that PCQs used to be like that back in the yeah. day. Think about what you can do. Yeah, it's like I've been, I've been watching Doctor Who a lot now. More, have you expanded past Moffat? I'm, I started on Moffat season, but yeah. but the thing my the thing that I thought was kind of an interesting little mantra from that yeah. is there's always a way out from the from the Moffat seasons. Like Doctor Who's in a trap. No, Did you watch player. Silence in the Library yet? Yeah, yeah. Okay, you have to you have to watch that yeah, episode yeah. to even understand the yeah, Moffat yeah, 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 yeah. Did you like the Doctor Dances? The uh, the Chris I like every, I like everything he did. Yeah, I like everything he did. So, uh, but it's like there's always a way out. There's got to be a way out, right? Like yeah. it's just like, and that's like that's like the thing, like. How, how deep are you in it yet? Did you finish the first Moffat season yet? Uh, no, I'm not finished the first season. You're not season. at Pandora Opens no, yet? No, 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 no. I just, I'm just, I'm just at the last episode of the two-parter Angels. 
That's that's a pretty good sequence. Yeah, yeah. The first the first great uh, river song. So there's some secret episodes that you could you could only have if you bought the DVDs. So a lot of Americans haven't seen them, but I'll I'll okay. send you like YouTube links when, okay. when you're ready. But you I'm not ready. You will be emotionally destroyed if you watch them. I find it to be Whedon-esque. Yeah. The Moffat stuff. It's really good. I uh. But 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 yeah, just go back to what you're saying. Like. Always way out. Just try. You get. You like. Sometimes you gotta get desperate and impulse on your own turn. Knowing when to use my resources. I mean, we've talked a, lot, a little bit about that. Do I take three damage from a Geralt's messenger another turn or two, or do I sever the bloodline now? Well, it's kind of like what it's we, a tough balance. We were talking about earlier, right? Like, what does that what does that represent? Is your opponent gonna have some way to like you know if you like that's a tough question to answer? What if your opponent's gonna untap play? Birthing pod. I mean, what are your opponents going to play? Birthing pod. Sacrifice the draw messenger. Get it to come back into play. Get a stupid restoration angel. Restoration angel the draw messenger, and you've taken. I, th- I don't know. I can't do math, but I think eleven. Okay. Right so, if I see a card, if I draw messenger is a card when I was playing a lot of uh, Delver last year, and I, I significantly had a losing record to zombies. But I never lost to any other card. Not only would I lose to Jarl's Messenger, I'd lose to, like, their third Jarl's Messenger that they drew on the deciding turn. And and I, I hate playing against Jarl's Messenger, so whenever I look at this card, I would always ask myself the same question. Can I get this idiot to block and trade with the Jarl's Messenger? I would, I because would if actually, I can't, you have to do something The more you think about it. it, in fact, like the more you think about, like, if someone's playing Jarl's Messenger, yeah. the type of deck they're going to play... Is going to create later situations where it's bad, where it's just impossible for you to ever be able to sever. You can't the even draw you can't even kill it at some point, right? Because its rebuy is going to kill you. I I, I tend to just sever it immediately. Yeah, yeah. I think you would sever it immediately. I think it's like what again? It's like you cut your what's loss. Gonna, what's going to happen? What What does next turn look like? What does it look like two turns from now when that draws messenger sticker? So worst case scenario is I take six. Yeah. Right, but that's not really the worst case scenario. That's just like normal cost to do a business, right? I mean, like, even getting two cards out of it, it's just like, it's painful at best, you know? Yeah, that, yeah. I mean, that card asks but a lot of you Birthing Pod, Vampire Aristocrat, you know, Falcon Rath Aristocrat, Aristocrat yeah. uh, you know, um, uh, a, uh, you know, Bloodthorn Vampire variant of some kind, like anything, and, like, bad things happen to you. Yeah, I, I think I, I tend to sever it. I sever a lot of Falcon Rath Aristocrats or, 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 uh, or, Pillar, and people sacrifice it to itself. Yeah. That's the right play. Yeah. FYI. Yeah, yeah. You want to go through some more? You think we've been talking for an hour and a half almost. Oh, wow. Oh, wait. Here's one. I wanted to mark, I marked this one architect for you. Okay. Limited. I can master a constructed deck. I can analyze constructed metagames fairly easily. I must, know like that, I must know this player. Like I can even kind of analyze ones I don't play in. Like Modern Legs, this really sounds like me. <laughs> but I'm just a mediocre limited player. Oh, I, it is you, isn't it? <laughs> I'm not good at individual card evaluation or deck building on the spot. I did not write this one. Yeah. You can tell by when I say... Well, not I. You can tell by when he says he's a mediocre limited because I would not say you that. You would not say that. Oh, yeah. I, I might say it for you. But well. No, no. Um... Yeah, I mean that's like, but it's like it's like anything else. Why are you why are you so good at constructed? Is it because you play a lot? 
because you know the cards, you know the archetypes. I think this is an art. This is just like this kid is just screaming to be taught to be an archetype. Yeah, like find a deck you really like and draft find it every a, time. Yeah, just draft it every time. Have a backup plan yeah. and just go. That's that's. I I told that to uh, to Anna Marie. She's like blah blah blah. These things you should get this. I'm like, look. All respect to your teacher, but. <laughs> People have been spouting a lot of a lot of information for years that isn't true 100 percent of the time. Right. I personally think that you have better results on average as an architect than as a gardener. Right. Well, um, especially early on. Yeah. So especially early on, like find find a deck that works. You find blue white, right, and make it work, and then learn like learn that sometimes you're gonna have to be is it as a backup plan or sometimes. But like you know what, just draft your cards, just take them, force for them, fight for them. And just get the get the, get so, the right deck. Talk about local metagames. Uh, do you remember Urza, Urza's block, uh, Urza's saga only? Remember it was like all about black, right? At the beginning it was all about black. And then Hashim Bello discovered the red-green deck, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was like all about black and then red-green. Where I lived at the time was in Ohio. I knew the players, and I knew the players who were playing the PTQs. I knew the players who had won, okay? I was friends with them. And Blue-White had won the last multiple PTQs in a row. So I went into the top eight, and I'm just like... So I made a rule for myself, never pass a Sanctum Custodian. I, I took Sanctum Custodian over Pestilence. Wow. And I was just like, never pass a Sanctum Custodian. And I beat the Black Deck in the finals, you know? So it's like... So not only did not only did I win, so it made it like three consecutive... So Because Hermit Crab, uh, and then you could put the Pinger on Hermit Crab. Sure, yeah. Yeah, so that was... That hermetic was one, study. Yeah, Hermetic Crab. Um combo was like one of the reasons but like the blue card you could just play like cycling cop red and cycling cop black and that was very bad for some strategies right so the so i architected blue white and then it's not just that i won the ptq but the guy who won the previous ptq handed me the sleeves that he played and then the one he won and he's like make it three in a row the same set of sleeves was played to, to win three consecutive, three consecutive Ohio Valley PTQs of Blue White. I would never do that today, knowing what I know about sleeves. Play with Mark's <laughs> sleeves? <laughs> like, by the way, that would never happen in 2012. <laughs> but in younger years, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so that's just like, I, I yeah. was architecting even before I even knew there was a term for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, well, it still, it still hasn't fully caught on yet, but we're getting there. It, it was just like... It was like this read, not, not a read that I had. It was like empirical fact. The strategy won the last two PTQs. Right. I knew the players were playing it, and I knew that most players were like valuing well, black I, very I, deeply. Who are good? I think a big part of it is right. Find out what's over. Find out yeah. what's be, be an architect and shop. What get a good price for your materials? What, I, what am I going to do? Take a green card? Yeah. Brian Weissman's writing articles about how green's the deepest color in Urza Saga, and Chris Bakula said that was the best favor he ever did to pro players. It's uh, his, his his article was so plausible about winding worms and everything. And I thought about it. He's like, what's their best common? What's their best four drop? He said, it's like whatever it was, like a 3-3 three, three worm for, for four or whatever. You know, a three, he's like, that's their, that's their common guy. Like a blue-white deck's got a 2-3 flyer for four that cycles. You're really telling me that 3-3 three, three thing's right, right, better? Right. Your, best, your best shot was like the tree folk? Yeah. Right? Like the three, the, was it like a 4-4 four, 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 echo. with echo? But we had, we had rescind. Yeah. That no one was taking. You could get like rescind like eleventh. You're like, like rescind your land. Yeah, nice tree folk. <laughs> oh, rescind your land. Yeah. So, Ooh. yeah. Long story short, I I really a firm fan of architecture, uh, in limited. Right. So this means find a deck, learn how to play it, and just draft it hard. Know what cards and, and going in. And don't get tempted by. 
Oh god, don't get tempted by shiny little lightning bolts. That's yeah. the or unless lightning bolts is the deck you're you know unless oh. it's part of the deck you're drafting. Okay. But like you know whatever the deck is, like I mean it could be Boros. You could be architecting Boros. That's you. You architect Boros right now, right? Uh, no? Yeah, yeah, kind of. No, I mean I'm really Izzy. See, so. um, some of these are. I mean, a lot of a lot of these things end up being just iterations on the same ideas, right? Yeah, I think that a big part of it is emotional control and sideboarding. I think I'm surprised that people still need to. Is, you, should people just actually? I, I don't even know why I'm asking you this question. MagicallyGathering.com, sorry, Daily MTG asks you to write the same article every time there's a new set. So, right? You know, basically the yeah. This is your first. This is your first tournament guide. I haven't written it in a long time. But they have asked yeah. you to, yeah, <laughs> whether or not you've written it. Is a, Sure. You've written it like four times, though. I must have written it like fifteen or twenty <laughs> times. So, yeah. So I guess I guess that's the case. Like you know, we're we're kind of, but there's so many new players. Maybe you, you reiterate the same information that sure. maybe someone who's reading you for ten years has read. But you know, also, so, it, there's I mean, a lot of new also players. People hear stuff all the time, but they don't always aren't always ready to listen to it. You know, that's probably yeah, true. Yeah. yeah, depending on where what stages people are in uh, in their career. So, but we, we should probably wrap right. this. So up. let's wrap it up. So. Um, Let's see. We're, by decade. By decade. Still by decade, I should yeah, say. Yeah, and like yeah. I said, it's it's sold briskly for five, six, it's more than six years. Yeah. yeah. Uh, by the official miser's guide. By lots of the official miser's guide. Buy it right now. Actually, a lot of what we were talking, I didn't intend it this way, but a lot of stuff we were talking about that, that Brad's respondents were asking about are actually things that I spent many chapters sure, talking, talking about. talking about mental game. Mental game. Staying, staying even. Uh, emotional, emotional control. We spent like eight chapters on emotional control. And also like sideboarding. Uh, I think it was Mr. Scotty Mack from the A-Team. like, oh, I'm actually really trying to put into practice this sideboarding stri- strategy that he said, uh, it's interesting to me, modern modern deck builders, not modern in the format, but like deck builders today, even very good ones, um, don't use basic sideboarding strategies that I've been using for years. Like, you should know which cards go in and out into which matchups, and you should have the correct number of cards to go into your deck and that's take why, out of your deck. I would always like to play. That's why I would always like to play a Jerry Thompson deck. Yeah, because they come with detailed sideboard guides. Um, so Jerry Thompson is very good. I just want the detailed sideboard guide. I don't even care if he's good. <laughs> he is on a tear of impressive level, in my opinion. Yeah, he's 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 terrific. He's terrific. He's he's in that really kind of like he's in the zone. I think. Yeah, I I can't wait for him to finally get that Pro Tour top eight at some point because I think he's just I really do think he's he's just one of the best players in the game. Really, Shane is. I mean, I love I love his deck from uh, Pro Tour Turn to Ravnica. I just wish Jund didn't exist. Um, how do you like the deck he's been playing? Uh, Blue White Flash with Pillar of Flame. The, the mid range. It's not a mid range American. American mid range or whatever people it's are calling it. Blue White it. Flash with Pillar of Flame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like yeah. these, like you know, Augur of Bolas and Snapcaster Amazing go with Pillar of yeah, Flame. Yeah, I guess we're more like lumping it in with the decks that have Geist of Saint Traft instead of Augur of Bolas. He doesn't grind. He's like his. He's like, oh, people are trying to grind me. I just draw eight cards. <laughs> <laughs> grind this. <laughs> okay, and then you, you had some stuff you wanted. Oh, I, uh, do I? Yeah, we talked about this before. This we actually talked about. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, no, I was just saying, if you're, if you're online. Yeah? If you're, on if you're online. If you're online, if you're on, if you're on, on Facebook, chance. or you're on, uh, Armor Games. Chrome Store. Kabam, Chrome Store, uh, Congregate. Uh, I have some games that I have designed, uh, that I get to write story for. 
and get to do comic books for uh, that I'm really proud of and really excited about. Uh, social games are free to play. You can play them for free. You can probably get every card in the game playing for free. Probably not as quickly as if you spent money, but you could play for free. Uh, you know, we're, we're really conscious of the free players. Uh, the game that I've been working on the most recently is Legacy of Heroes. Uh, it's a collectible card game with RPG elements. It's based on around a superhero universe. I got to create, I've created something like 50 superheroes and villains. And you got to work with I'm him. working with Steve Ellis, who's from Only from Living Boy. Only Living Boy and a million other comics. It's very uh, good. Yeah, I, he's, he's Amanda terrific. Connor. Amanda Connor. If you don't know who Amanda Connor is, yeah, I, you I probably don't follow comics. Uh, you know, a, t- a ton of different comic people. Right now, Steve Ellis is doing about what's great is I'm collaborating with Steve Ellis on 24 pages of comic book story a month, which we're going to actually release as a free webcomic. That's insane. Every month we're going to have, like, a full free You know you can get webcomic. a dollar for that, right? I know we could, but, like, we're doing the work anyway, so it's like, we just want people to read the stories and get them interested in the characters. I really love these characters. I'm really excited about them. Yeah, Brian's really like, jazzed about this. I, I, would, I would strongly recommend that if you like the creativity he's put into every other thing that you probably already love about him, this is actually what he... This he is, this a, is lot a synthesis of, of yeah. multiple decades of nerdy pursuits in multiple different directions, all meeting at the this sort of uh, on the horizon line. It's 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 it's, it's, a, it's a ton of fun. Which, really which link should I put in the show notes? Uh, lohgame.com. Lohgame. Okay. Lohgame.com, uh, and that's probably also where you'll find the comic at some point. Cool. All right, so. Um, Hope you liked it. You're at a minute and thirty four, so you probably liked it. And uh, go go play lohgame.com uh, and buy all the books that that I wrote. <laughs> I also wrote a, a marketing book. Yeah. It was very well. It was very well uh, reviewed by a former CEO of Apple, Ooh. not Steve Jobs, yeah. <laughs> but a different former CEO of Apple, so that it should be on your bookshelf. Uh, so go, you could buy it's that. Typical. I don't know. It is a long ass title. Uh, Paperclick search engine marketing an hour a day. Okay, is the title. That sounds like it will not help me learn how to sideboard. Um, does it have a sideboarding guide? Because I'll buy it. It does not have a sideboarding guide. All right, but, so buy buy, buy official MySpace. There's, there's guide a picture of my old MySpace page that has its old top eight magic logo, which is a, the the Minotaur with the with the the earbuds. Oh yeah, there's I wanna, a picture wanna, of that in the I book. I want to trot that out again. I think let's just switch up. Let's just trot that out. Let's again. just make it into our face. I, I would make it into my Twitter icon, but I kind of want to have Tana one I'll forever. It, I'll make it my Facebook icon. All right, I, I'll switch it for a while. At least. No, no, you don't have to switch. That. I don't want you to switch Tana. I like I like that you have Tana. I really like that there. So, so but I can switch it. So you know what? I can make it my my background on Twitter then. Oh yeah, right, I'll definitely do, do that. I'll okay. do that then. I'll awesome. do that this week. All right. All right. So, uh, lohgame.com, Fishermizer's Guide, StarCityGames.com for you. Decade. Go buy if you if you really want to if you really want to make Brian happy. Decade. You probably read it while you're playing <laughs> while you're drafting lohgame.com. Yeah. So this is the recipe to make Brian. <laughs> Buy the book he publishes, not the book Pete publishes, while playing LOH game. I, I, want, I, want, I want people to buy your book. I want you to do, you know. Yeah. I want you to make tons of money. I also want so to So you make can just quit your job and do magic stuff with me all the time. Um, I mean, I know that's not going to happen, but that would be fun. Don't, I hope my wife doesn't, doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, she's not going to let you do this anymore. Is <laughs> he putting bad ideas in your head? Uh, so I, I was out for like a work lunch today. Like, oh, what do you know? I'm like, I'm going to Vegas for the weekend. So I'm trying to make it all that how all cool I am. I didn't say, I'm going to Vegas to do a Star City show, and I'm probably not going to do any goofing off 
and I'm not going to gamble, and I'm not going to go to the Rhino, and I'm just going to watch Magic all weekend. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm just going to Vegas with a meet up with all my good friends, see some of my friends. I don't know where I'm staying. Like, you don't even know where you're staying? I don't know because I forgot to look in the, yeah. the email thread. I'm like, no, I don't even know. I figure my, I'll have a place. My wife never understands that. She's like, okay, where are you staying when you're in Seattle? I'm like, I, I, I don't know. I'm going to get to the airport and look at my email. Look at my email and figure it out. And she's like, why do you, you know, because she doesn't travel nearly as nearly much as, as much we do. Like, so, like, a travel event is much more momentous. You know, she wants to Obsess over every detail and know everything and have it all. And I'm like, eh. all right. I think people, the last one we did, I was really proud of. I really listened to it. I, I liked it a lot. Oh, awesome. This one, I think, this one has a deceptively high amount of content. After you get past all of our ranting yeah, about yeah. basketball, yeah. If you get past the basketball <laughs> section, it's pretty good. <laughs> all right. Uh, this is Mike. This is Brian. Bye. Bye.